Hello, I'm Rami. And I'm Shannon. And this is Workplace Hugs, a podcast where we talk about interesting things that we've read or heard and how it relates to the workplace experience. Our goal here is really simple. It's to help all of us expand our workplace toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy without a whole new degree. We will purposefully talk about things in three different scenarios. First, we'll hit the topic at a really high level. Then we'll talk about how we've experienced it at the lowest level. And lastly, we'll share some ways that you might take this back into your own workplace life. Rami, tell us tell us about you. Sure. I'm Rami Gibran. I've worked in all sizes of companies from large to small, usually newly developed roles. I'm basically the person at your office who you know does a bunch of different things, but you're not really sure what they do or what department they're in. Uh, I like the ambiguity in title. It's fun. Uh, I got my MBA a few years ago, and since then I've been working in smaller startups, trying to get in roles where I can be perpetually curious and build things out. Nice. And podcasting. And podcasting. How could you forget podcasting? How could I forget? Shannon, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm Shannon Schottler. I'm a leadership coach based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I spent the first 10 years of my career working for four different Fortune 500s in manufacturing, retail, consumer packaged goods, lots of roles, you name it. I probably did it. A few years ago, though, I set the corporate lifestyle aside, favoring the flexibility found in entrepreneurship. So now I'm happily coaching, consulting, contracting, and podcasting all the live long day. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Shannon, this is a book that you read uh, called Workaholism Chained to the Desk. Yes. Doesn't it sound so dramatic and juicy? It's very visceral. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So I really, I enjoyed reading this book as a recovering workaholic myself. Um, and so maybe we should just kind of anchor into the definitions of workaholism that they provide. Yes. How does that sound? Okay. So they defined workaholism as an obsessive compulsive disorder that manifests itself through self-imposed demands, an inability to regulate your work habits, and overindulgence in work to the exclusion of most other life activities. Let's break that down quickly. Mm-hmm. Obsessive compulsive disorder, yeah. self-imposed demands, uh-huh. inability to regulate work habits, uh-huh. overindulgence in work yep. to the exclusion of most other life activities. Yeah. That is a terrifying <laughs> definition. All of it is so scary. And a reality for a lot of people. The book really makes a case that workaholism is just as addictive and destructive to people's lives as other addictions like drugs, alcohol, gambling. And I really Whoa. want to talk. Yeah, I really want to talk about it. Um, yeah, let's chat about if this is truly as destructive. Um, but maybe before we dive into that a little bit, we can further break down how do you know the difference between if you're a workaholic or if you're just a hard worker? Okay, that's interesting. Because uh-huh. hard worker would be like a healthy version of a workaholic. Yes, yes. If you think about it as a spectrum, hard worker might be on one side, like you're in good shape, and workaholic is on the other where it's really getting to a level of destruction in your life. Got it. That makes sense. Like they both would be viewed potentially positively by your leadership, but one is going to be healthy for yourself and one is going to be very unhealthy for yourself. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting you say that they both be viewed positively by your leadership because I don't know if they are. 
I think that might be our perception on the surface, but I can think of leaders who had my number pegged as a workaholic and didn't really perceive it as a positive trait. But did they receive it as a negative trait? Um, no, I can't think of a leader that perceived it as a negative trait. I can think of members of my team who were negatively impacted by my workaholism tendencies. Yes. I'm not saying your direct reports. I'm saying anybody above you, I don't know that they're going to view workaholism versus hardworking any different. I think they see that person is getting getting things done. Yeah. And I like that. Whether they can clue into it and say, this is unhealthy for them. I don't think that that is a normal question that they're asking. It's just, oh, they're getting their stuff done and it's good. Yeah. Yeah. You raise a good point on how different stakeholder groups might perceive it. So should we outline a little bit? What are the characteristics of a workaholic compared to a hard worker? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So workaholics are more apt to look for work to do. Uh, they're really driven to think about working a disproportionate amount of time, even like when they're with their friends or doing leisure activities and whatnot. Like they're just not giving up work. Like they're thinking no. about it all the time. Yep. All the time. All the time. And they really view work as a haven. It's almost like their safe space when the rest of their world might be perceived as emotionally unpredictable. So it's like a comfort area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Almost retreating to work versus uh, your home life being your retreat from work. They frequently fail to attend to self-care, household chores, spiritual life. And they often break commitments to friends, partners, and children to meet their work deadlines. But doesn't... I guess. I've been really enjoying the Jomo life. The joy of pissing out. I had to think about that for a minute. Like Jomo. really enjoying it, but not because of work. I think other things just cause me to Jomo. Yeah, yeah. Jomo, Jomo away. These people, <laughs> um, I don't think these people experience a lot of Jomo. No. When it comes to work, they have a fear yes. of missing out at work. At work, yeah. Versus in their personal lives. They have an insatiable work appetite, and their relationship to their work is the central connection of their life. Work is at the center. Everything else is around that. So that's really that their life is built around work and not that their work is built around life. Yes. Yep. They live to work, not work to live. Got it. So... The distinctions between a hard worker. So hard workers, on the other hand, they're just focused on getting the job done efficiently. They're not insatiably looking for more work to do as the workaholic might. They kind of look at it and go, how can I do this as efficiently as possible? Where a workaholic would look at it and say, how do I do this as perfectly as possible? Yes. And there's different types of workaholism. We're not going to get into that today. But if you want to read the book, they talk about four different types. And one of them, as an example, is the savoring workaholic. Somebody that's uh-huh. just like, oh, I just want work to last as long as possible <laughs> so I can just savor every last bit of this work. Because uh-huh. it's their safe haven. I'm getting the sense that this isn't you, Robbie. No. Nope. <laughs> um, and a hard worker, they think about and enjoy the job that they're engaged in at the present moment. But they're not taking it home with them. Uh, and they really view work as a necessary and sometimes, sometimes fulfilling obligation. So again, they're more apt to be, uh, they're not living to work. They're working so they can live the rest of that their life. That makes sense. And they're really able to turn off their work appetite. They're much more 
in control of the the acceleration versus the brake. Like they they actually have a brake and they can get into work and then like pump the brakes at like a, a an evening time and say like that's it I need to go. Yes, that's a really great metaphor to use, and a metaphor that maybe we'll circle back to. So digging into the that's kind of like the high level overview. Yes. Now let's get into the tactical a little bit and maybe share some real life examples. But before we do that, Rami, I'm wondering, would you consider yourself a workaholic? Shannon, I'm going to ask you a question. (laughs) Would you think that I am a workaholic? I do not think you're a workaholic. Thank you. You never strikes me as the type of person who is a workaholic. I appreciate that. I would rather be defined as a hard worker. Yes. But this is where I think it goes back to, is it how it's perceived above you versus below you? Because I think as it pertains to the look down, I would want people to perceive me as being a workaholic. I am in no way a workaholic. Like nothing about me is a workaholic, but I will I will purposefully be more available on the skirt, the end timings of things to give off that perception, but in no way am I a workaholic. And what makes that perception so important to you? I think to me, the idea of workaholic and hard worker is a very narrow line mm-hmm. when perceived above. And I think the more you can lean into the idea of being perceived as a workaholic, the better off that visibility is like optics. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's really a bummer to me, but I know intuitively that you're, you're right. <laughs> it just sucks that yeah. leaders aren't able to distinguish or discern the difference and think about the impacts on us as people and on our teams. Well, and I think too, like that's to me is a takeaway from our conversation is like, if you're a leader and you start to see the difference between workaholic and hard worker, Mm -hmm. I think that's when it's for you to have a conversation with your employee and how do you start Mm -hmm. to shift them from workaholic into uh, hard worker. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, you sent me this wart test. What a terrible name, by the way. <laughs> I love it. I really like it. Uh, it reminds me of workaholism, so I think it's perfect. Oh, yeah. So it's the workaholic risk assessment test. Workaholic assessment risk test? I don't know. Something like that. You get the idea. It's a wart. It's a wart. And so you can take it, and I think you get a score of 0 to 100. 100 yep. being, uh, yeah, you're a certifiable workaholic. <laughs> 100 being, how did you find time to take this? Because you're probably working right now. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So Rami, I'm curious, what were your results? I'm dying to know. I mean, I don't know what is surprising here. So I think 0 to 20 is probably that you don't work and you probably didn't finish the survey. (laughs) I don't know what the healthy range is because after you finish, it doesn't really say like, oh, here are the ranges. It just says like the higher you are, the more susceptible to workaholism. Yes. But it doesn't say like this is this is a good range. All it said for me was so I got mine. It says you scored 44. You are not a workaholic. That's it. (laughs) That's it. That's all it said. You are not considered a workaholic. You're probably hard worker instead of workaholic. You needn't needn't. That's an interesting word. Mm. You needn't worry that your work style will negatively affect you or others. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. 
so that's all they give. Wow, I'm really surprised by that. But I guess you know they're not you're not their target audience, so they're just kind of like, peace, see you later. <laughs> see ya. Why did you even take this test? <laughs> brutal. So Rami, from our time working together in corporate America, uh, what would you think? <laughs> oh, for sure, workaholic. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you scored like really really high like near a hundred that just seems impossible and i think you've kind of mellowed out i would actually be very intrigued to have seen shannon that i worked with take this and Uh shannon now Uh because i think you've come way down Uh and by way down i mean relative to yourself not relative to everyone and so i would still say like you're you're a high score but not like the high score and you probably would have been proud to be the highest score Back in the day. Back I don't in think- the day? Yeah, probably. I'm trying to think. Um, so anyway, what, when I took it today, I can't remember the exact score. It's been a good year or two since I've taken it. Um, but I want to say I was like in the mid 70s when I that took it. That seems right. Mm-hmm. About double, about double Rami. Yeah, 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 yeah. That seems right. So yeah, mid 70s. It felt okay to me. Uh, and maybe this is a good segue into the next part of our conversation. On like, do we think that there's this, this like hereditary or um, can you change it about yourself? Because there's literally workaholics anonymous groups similar to AA and whatnot across mm-hmm. the country because they believe like this is like you've got to manage it because it's not going away. I think the most important piece is talking about it and defining it because I think a lot of people would just say, I have in unhealthy work-life balance. Mm. I don't think anyone would, uh, maybe, maybe the like high eighties or the nineties are saying I've, I'm fine. I'm, I just work a lot. Like my job is super busy and I just happen to work a lot. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest piece is, and I think from the beginning when you said they're viewing this as an addiction, the same way that they view alcoholism, drug dependency, all these other things. I think just even knowing that that, can be defined in the same way is huge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that might be one of the ways that starts to break the stigma around it. Because as I think we keep alluding to that, that line between hard worker and workaholism is pretty thin. Yeah. Right. It's a shift from efficiency to perfection. And a lot of time it's really hard to delineate between those two. Yep. Yep. I agree. I think it's alive and well in our culture today. Uh, And it doesn't, maybe it's kind of similar to mental health. Like mental health is finally coming up as a thing to be like, oh, this, this is actually a thing that's important that maybe we should talk about uh, because of the stigmas associated with it. Whereas I think workaholism has a positive stigma associated with it. Like, oh, you're a hard worker. That's awesome. Right. Like, that's what I'm saying. Good for you. Because I, I wouldn't have viewed it that way until you told me this is equivalent to alcoholism or any other isms. Yeah, yeah. And they share some stories in the book on the impact of workaholic parenting or parents who are workaholics and the impact it can have on children. So that it really is painful to see some of those stories. For sure. And so let's, we've talked about how, I don't know that there's much of a difference between it as you as leadership looks down on someone. Mm -hmm. But I think as a direct report reporting into someone, I think there is a very strong feeling that 
however your boss works is kind of how you need to work. Do you have any examples from your time that could fit into what I'm saying? Because I know that you were very high on the workaholism spectrum and also managed a team. Yes, yes, yes. So it's interesting because when you first asked that question, I was thinking of myself with my leaders and I never expected or wanted myself to work as my leaders worked. Like, I think maybe if you're a workaholic and you have a non-workaholic boss, you're almost, oh, this is painful to admit, but you're almost like egotistical about it. Like, oh, well, I'm going to work harder than they do. Like, that's not an acceptable level of work to put out. And I have a great story of how my workaholism impacted my team. So I'm sure some people out there can relate who work in corporate America. You do this thing once a year around best team surveys um, or like a 360 feedback from your team. And despite having told my team numerous times, like, hey, just because I stay here until 8 o'clock at night doesn't mean that you have to stay here until 8 o'clock at night. They did not feel that way. They really saw how the work hours that I kept and assumed that that was the expectation, no matter how many times I told them otherwise. Um, and so after I got this 360 feedback done, I made a commitment to them. I was like, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to improve it. I'm going to prove it for myself and I'm going to prove it for you guys because I don't want you guys seeing me online at 11 o'clock at night. And apparently, I didn't know this until months later, but apparently literally the next day, someone saw me online. One day later. One day you later. You had just told the team, you're I like, guys, I'm working on it. I'm going to work on working less. Oh, my God. I, you're not going to see me online late. Like, it's not a thing. Oh, my God. Like, the green light's not going to be on. So so we've, we've we had that conversation with the team yeah you're now let's say 28 hours yeah 28 hours later yeah 28 hours later they apparently took a snapchat of me (laughs) on green status on messenger working at 11 o'clock at night and i swear to god i do not remember this because i really did give it the heave ho for a good week i thought but apparently not no um and they told me about this as i was they didn't even tell me until six months later when I was exiting corporate America and they're like, Hey, we're really glad to see that you're like getting your life in check because by the way, remember that thing that you said you were going to work on? You didn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. You you were not successful in, in that part of your uh, workaholism balance. No, No. It's interesting too, because I think as, as a leader, you have to set really clear expectations for your team of what you expect of them. Because a lot of times, you as a direct report, look at your leader and go, I need to work the way that they do. So if they're here in these hours, I need, I need to do those hours. And if they're online from these hours, I need to do those things. I had a boss once who on my first day said, look, I have small children at home. You will see that I'm in the office, like very set hours because I have to drop them off and I have to pick them up. So maybe I'm in here from nine until five 30 And then you will then see that I'm back online and emailing you at 8, 9, 10, 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. That's how my schedule allows me to get my work done. Mm -hmm. I do not expect that you will see those emails or respond to those emails. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was a really nice way for me to buffer from that expectation from him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But what's interesting on the flip side is no matter how much you say those things, that isn't necessarily what your team is comfortable with. 
Absolutely. But I think being able to tell them that at least helps set that. And I think it's then delivering against it because there was only a few times that I can recall where that next morning, like right at nine, where he'd be like, hey, so that thing I emailed you about, like, why haven't I gotten a response yet? Mm. And I think because he kept delivering against the he didn't follow up with me right away in the morning on those things he had emailed me about the night before. I think that helped build credibility for it. Because I think had it been, hey, where's that thing that I sent you an email about or slack about it at 11 o'clock? I think that reverses and just disintegrates that expectation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so some good stories about how workaholism is alive and well. I'm wondering, we had an interesting conversation on this do we think that this is hereditary or genetic and can you change it? What do you think? It's tough, right? Because I think there are occupations and careers where workaholism is almost necessary. The one I think I brought up and then works really well for you is around farming, right? When you're a farmer, you need to be up as soon as the light hits and you are probably working during peak season, right? Whether it's picking season or planting season. I I assume maybe not during watering and pruning season. And I don't know what other seasons there are. (laughs) I'm not a farmer. But I would assume that during those seasons, your peak times, you are probably just working around the clock. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can speak to that a little bit because I grew up on a farm and I uh, was sharing with Rami that I don't know if it was nature or nurture. I don't know if it's genetic or was nurtured into me that work ethic is really important. And growing up on a farm, you know, you just didn't have clear boundaries. It was not a nine to five job. So I don't really think I grew up with a strong example or understanding of what work-life boundaries even looked like. Because when it was time to go, it was time to go. And you just did it. Like you worked 36 hours straight if it was time to put up hay. Right. There was always, if you had to do things on a time sensitive window, like you just had to do them. Yeah. Otherwise you're burning the the hay instead of uh, bailing it. Is that a thing? Yeah. We, we would say making hay, but yeah, you're bailing hay. So for me, it's something that I have to be very mindful of. And even now when I'm doing work, I love, I asked my husband the other night, cause I still will coach nights until nine o'clock at night. And I'll say, you know, does this bother you? What's different for you versus when I would work until nine o'clock at night at corporate? And he mm-hmm. says, you come home happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we don't have to spend like an hour decompressing on your bad day. Yep. <laughs> so that's where it's still alive and well for me. And I have to be mindful of what's coming up for me. It's tough for me to slow down. It's tough for me to feel okay being not productive. Uh, and I just makes sense. focus on noticing those moments and giving myself permission to say it's okay to slow it down a little bit. Uh, even though I grew up in a family where slowing down was not a huge value. I have nine brothers and sisters and uh, darn near all of them, I get, would guess, would score 75 or higher on this test. But I thought the whole thing of living like in the country was like this nice, calm like easygoing, slow life yeah, no. <laughs> does not compute with workaholism to me. No, no. And of course, there's seasons where it's slower than others. Like, you know, in the winter, there's not much to do, but work was just always there. Then it was, you know, the financial planning for the next season or something. It was just always there. There were no clear boundaries. 
So I'm learning boundaries, even as a 32 year old on Mm -hmm. what, how to separate work from life. Yep. That's so interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's bring it back to eye level. Let's bring it home. So how can we take some of what we've just been talking about and apply it to your life? And where have we seen success with this? So I think, I think the wart test is a good one. I think you should definitely look it up and take the wart test to understand where you are. Yes. W-A-R-T. It's a little bit buried, but you can find it. Um, And then my sense is having different clients take this test. You probably already know, but if it helps you to admit, (laughs) it might be a good thing for you to do. I think that's the big piece is like understanding and admitting that it's an issue and a problem. Yeah, yeah. So depending on where you sit, there's a few things that you can do to curb your work appetite. I think at the simplest, highest level, they would talk about the three R's, um, which I'm trying to... Oh, yeah. The three R's. So Recycle, reuse. (laughs) Uh, What's the other one? Arithmetic. Yeah, that. That. So they talk about (laughs) making sure that you're investing time into at least one of the three R's every day, which are relaxation, relationships, or recreation. So if you're so far into your workaholism that it's tough for you to do something more in depth, maybe just checking in to say, have I done at least one thing to relax with my relationships or recreation outside of work and this day? And then if you wanted to take that a little bit more in depth, sometimes what I'll do with clients, I had one client in particular, so your break analogy sat with me earlier, Rami, who said she wanted to define the difference between speeding and cruise control. And cruise control is like the hard worker. Um, mm-hmm. And speeding is when she knows she's getting into the red zone of workaholism and that it's oh. creating like a different person in her. And so w- defining the differences between yourself of what are the signs and symptoms for you that you are in the hard worker zone versus that you're in cruise control versus speeding and going into the red zone. And in the book, they talk about creating like a, what are your health, healthy work habits checklist? So like for myself personally, uh, I know I need to make a priorities list for the day and actually to challenge myself to not go deeper than that list because it would be really easy for me to keep going. Interesting. So, so is your list, are you, as your list making, are you being conscious of that in that you're only putting things on there that you should accomplish that day? Yes. And in fact, I I'm, I do this a little bit different for myself, but I do like a monthly matters most. And then I'll calendar block for myself when I'm creating my like goals for the month. And very often I will create more goals than I find time once I do the calendar blocking exercise, which is helpful because then it's my personal accountability to say these expectations are not realistic. Cut some of them out of your day <laughs> or out of your week or out of your month. Are you actually doing that though? Yes, truly, I actually am. And this month was a great example where I had to pivot quick. Rami knows I'm moving offices and I'm going to have to pivot. Like there are things that just aren't going to be able to happen as I look at the time investment I'm going to need to make to get this office ready. So yeah, that's a sign for me. And then another sign for me personally, if it helps give you some clues, is if I'm not laughing... Laughing is a big thing for me. I find it easy Mm -hmm. to laugh. So I know I'm hitting the red zone if I am unable to hear myself laugh in a work day. Something's not right. I'm not in the healthy zone. Well, and I think too, the important thing, Shannon, with all of these 
healthy work habit checklist um, that you made for yourself is it's not something that just worked overnight, right? You didn't go from 88 on the scale to 77 yeah. overnight. No, no this no. is something that you have to work on and work at. And it's, it's like a constant thing in your life, right? Yes. Something that like needs to be managed. You're evaluating it on a daily, on a weekly and on a monthly level, every time you're doing your planning. Yep. Truly. So that's where I would say, like, if, if you know that you're in that workaholic range, I think the big things are, it's not something that changes overnight. I think if you try to make it change overnight, you will notice it's probably even harder to change. It's, 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 it's an unhealthy habit, just like smoking or, or alcoholism is. And so you really have to approach it from that same 10 steps in that, like, I have a problem. I need to, I need to say that. And then you have to start working really hard against fixing it because it's not one of those things that happens really quickly. And you shouldn't beat yourself up over the fact that it's not changing as fast as maybe you would like, Mm -hmm. but it's really about like day by day. Are you getting one of those three R's relaxation, relationships, or recreation? How do you prioritize those? Because those are what are going to fulfill you and help you hopefully be energized by something apart from work. And if you're starting to get those things, you'll hopefully want to seed more of those into your week to the point where you can start to look at what healthy balance for yourself looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked what you said that the first step truly is admitting that you have a problem. And sometimes that can be hard for us workaholics who are ego driven and think, Oh no, 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 I'm, I'm just a hard worker. This is like, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. This is a good trait. And you actually sent an article. I know we're running out of time, but I think it's worth noting if you're in this phase of struggling to admit that you have a problem, Rami, I think you sent me an article that the CDC has officially like diagnosed this issue. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating that workaholism is now like a, a known, what do they call it? A, it's like categorized as like a mental health disorder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll just leave you with that. If you're struggling to admit that you have a problem, that, the CDC that is it's acknowledged that it's a real thing. <laughs> it is a, a real absolute real mental, mental health problem. Yeah. So Shannon, that was workaholism. Yeah. We've, we've at least, I think the important thing here is we've noticed that there is a shackle to us, to the desk. (laughs) And I think if we see the shackle, that's the first step. Yes. Because that's terrifying. And honestly, I'm I'm still kind of shell-shocked from the definition of workaholism. So let's get away from that. So next week, week? we're going to talk about when breath becomes air. Mm. It's this super beautiful book. Even just that phrase is super beautiful. Yeah. Really about a doctor's journey through the end of his life, mm. knowing that he has a untreatable cancer. Mm, I can't wait. And the things we can take away from it. I think it'll be a really nice kind of cap to this one, which is you're, you're, you're so consumed by work that the rest of it doesn't matter where this one is like, you're so cognizant of the time that you have left that everything matters so much. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, I've been Shannon. And I've been Rami. And this has been Workplace Hugs. Thanks for listening.